Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. It is a Thursday, November 15th, 16th, 15th, 14th. I don't know anymore. Doesn't matter. Mark Daly here alongside my good friend, Mr. Mark Hamilton. Mark, how's it going? It's a, you're, you're multitasking there, my friend. I see the mic going off mute and on mute. <laughs> I, I see something delicious being consumed there in the, uh, in, in the background. Yeah, buffalo but I, chicken, chicken strips from Costco. That's my, that's my jam, dude. And nice, yeah, it's, nice. it's so funny. Like you've got to run out to pick up the kids. I'm being a negligent parent and babysitting a five-year-old <laughs> while recording this podcast so it's it's how fatherhood goes man like we could probably do a whole podcast about that but dude i'm doing awesome and just a <laughs> reminder this weekend is the las vegas grand prix so if you happen to be in the fantastic city expensive city of vancouver and you'd like to get together with mr daly and myself for some fun and some food and some drinks on saturday night slide in my dms and we will absolutely make that happen. And I promise this is the last time we've been doing this for six months, the last time that I am going to promo Saturday. So Mr. Daly, there you go. back well, to you. Next week, it'll be irrelevant anyways, but uh, there you go. Hey, before we jump into it, I just want to give a shout out to uh, Magnus and the crew at the Race Weekend Magazine. Check them out at theraceweekend.com, R-A-C-E-W-K-N-D.com. Enter in our promo code ScuderiaPod at checkout. Save 10% on a year subscription. Great idea with the holiday hey, dude, season just literally that, right around the corner. On that, guess what arrived at my door today? The brand new special edition Race Weekend Las Vegas Featuring Lewis Hamilton, featuring Takashi Murakama, like the greatest issue of of Race Weekend ever. So if you need any additional motivation, I don't know what it is, but to Daly's (laughs) point, it is the perfect Christmas gift and the fantastic new Murakami Lewis Hamilton issue is out and it's the best issue I've ever seen. And I've been tweeting it, not tweeting the other thing, Instagramming about it all day. So sorry to interject, sorry to steal all your good, all there, my good. friend. Yeah. Oh no, that that's perfect. You know, the, they keep raising the bar every issue and it's just, uh, I, I just don't know how long they can maintain it, but they keep surprising and knocking out of the park each and every time. Also talk about knocking out of the park, go check out racingexclusives.com. Just a couple more weeks and we're going to give away that uh, beautiful one half scale autographed Max Verstappen helmet from Tees and the crew. And that comes with a, a COA certificate of authenticity. So, you know, you're getting the real deal, which is fantastic and hard to believe Mark that this season is rapidly coming to a close as the year of 2023 is rapidly coming to a close. But before we jump into the rest of the news and all the fun stuff that we usually talk about, 
just very quickly, just run down the driver standings in the 2023 Formula One World Championship. Max Verstappen has uh, got this one sealed up, did some time ago. 524 points for the Dutchman. Sergio Perez, his teammate, 258. And second, Lewis Hamilton, third in the championship with 226. Fernando Alonso, fourth with 198. Three points ahead of Lando Norris, has 195 then rounding out the top 10, you have Carlos Sainz, Charles Leclerc, George Ruskell, Oscar Piastri, and Lance Stroll. In the Constructors' uh, Championship, you have Red Bull Racing, literally with 1 million points. Okay, not a million. 782, so I was kind of close, but not really. Uh, Mercedes second with 382, Ferrari 362. And then you have McLaren and Aston Martin rounding out the top five. Mark, now it's your turn. I Tell do. me that the it's, fantasy it's up. It's is working. Up. Oh, Dude, it's it's a lot. It's you always doubt me, and I doubt the site. No, I don't There's a lot doubt, of doubt you. going on here. I don't okay, doubt you. Okay, it's just like okay, the, that okay. website has issues. Let's let's just put it it's that way. It's not good. It's it's not good. It's like circa 1997 tech. Like Liberty, fix your fantasy site. You've done so much good stuff. Anyways, so like you said, there's only two races left, which means that we are going to be sending out that helmet. And man, like two weeks, we're going to be putting that in the post. Hopefully yep. somewhere close because I don't want to pay too much postage, but we <laughs> promise we will ship globally. But here's the current standing. So retaining the number one spot, Michael Cronje 16, followed by Axis Simons, Bengals Bubs, USAP 2, McLaro Lando, Relan Pago, Marquine Host, Vince Dest 2, Holes 1, Zanetta Team 3, Russell My Feather, San Gencho El Sculo F1, uh, Yellow Racing, Matt New Team 3, and Dream Saturday, and then finally Vince Des Team 1. Now, if you go back to the top, Michael Cronje 16 is sitting on 6,174 points. Axis Simon is sitting on 6,147. And Bengals Bob, friend of the show, 6,130 points, meaning that the top three spots are only separated by 44 points, which is wow, nothing. So nothing. this bad boy is Wide open, man. Wide open. And somebody's going to get that unbelievable top prize courtesy of Tease and the whole crew over at Racing's Exclusives. It's not going to be me, but uh, as I've said many times, you were so correct. You did the right thing by taking that and locking it away from me so that, uh, you know, because I, I would not have relinquished. Yeah, I told you I lost it at <laughs> yeah. one point, right? Yeah, you uh, said it was at the back of a closet or something. I mean, yeah, that's the length that you had to do to keep it away from me. So full respect. You know me too well, my friend. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to toss it over to you because uh, the, the next yeah, couple of things here thanks, is you, you've been busy. Like it, It's funny because last month I was away for a couple of weeks for work. You were away for work. And then we kind of hit this weird thing where our schedules just didn't align. And then you, you lined up all these great guests and you've been dropping all this fantastic content. So, uh, you know, some of these um, episodes are out there. Some of them are still to come. So just refer, because this is like, what the second show you and I have done together since what? Well, like, like two months? Labor like Day? Two months. It's ridiculous, oh. right? But anyways, so, like I say, you've done some amazing stuff. So just remind everyone what's so out there, all, what's coming up. First of all, my friend, shout out to you because you've done the last three race recaps without me. And full disclosure is because I was in the middle of construction hell because on the oh, weekends the is the only time the I had time to do that, <laughs> which is all done, which is all done. So thank you so much. So what I tried to do for everyone listening at home, I tried to give you a couple of weeks off here. I'm like, this poor guy's been doing all these race reviews by himself. Like, I'm going to book in Vedika Selecki, who, of course, the PR specialist, unbelievable F1 enthusiast. She was on the show last week. Make sure you check that out. And then I had Sam Cooper on on the weekend because I'm like, you know what? I'll do the new show with Sam. Give Daily the weekend off. In the meanwhile... In the meantime, you're off recording with Tim. So I give you this time off and you're off doing other <laughs> podcasts anyway. So there's no point. But 
Props to Vedica. Big shout out. Thank you for joining the show. Sam Cooper, thank you for joining the show. And a couple of other things to call it real quick. Megan Gilks will be on shortly. I had a great conversation with her a couple of days ago. Of course, she's now wrapped up her racing career and she's now going yes. full-time as an engineer at the Aston Martin Formula 1 team based out of Silverstone in the cool. UK. So super, super excited about that. And then finally, just on upcoming episodes, you and I will be celebrating episode 500 in the very near future, possibly within the next two weeks. So what we're trying to do is arrange something of a potluck of guests to come on the show. So we're going to be recording like mini 5, 10, 15 minute segments with fan favorites to come on the show and hopefully shower us with praise. Uh, and then we'll kind of piece all that together into kind of a mega 500th episode special. We may not actually align with our 500th episode, but we're doing something special there, which is super exciting. And then finally, two other quick things before we get on with the show. Number one, we officially have an Instagram account. In fact, we actually yes. have two because we couldn't figure out how to get into the old one. So we created <laughs> a new one. We also have a new logo. That bad boy is live. Check out, check us out on Instagram, F one underscore podcast. Can't wait to see you there. And then the other big news is friend of the show, JT the human, who will actually be joining us on the 500th episode, FYI, if you want to hear from him for the first time. He has a new song out as well, which is very, very cool. Uh, if we can't play it now, we'll put it in in post. We'll play a little bit of we, a sample. We've got this. Uh, let's yeah, drop let's do this it. right now. Let's drop it. I put, I put, I put, I put down just wait till I make a sweep boy in the mix like potpourri I'm a masterpiece so magnifique ah get the money like a fantasy my movie stripping like it's on the sea can't be believing everything you see hey wanna say you want a broken dream why 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 no I don't got all the answers but I got a show like Amanda that I there we go very very cool stuff from JT the human looking forward to having him on the show here to celebrate episode 500 fantastic fantastic stuff so Mark, what, what what else can we do now? We got we've announced new social medias because uh, you know X kind of ran its life for us. New debut track here from JT the Human. We're we're giving oh, away merch. We're having a watch party. Birthday, Lando Norris. There you go. There's going to be a wedding chapel <laughs> in the F1 paddock at the Las Vegas Grand Prix. Um, I don't know if you saw this, but I forgot yep. this was even happening. I I logged into Netflix yesterday and they had a Netflix Cup live golf event with a bunch of F1 drivers. I crazy that happened i don't know who won or lost but that's interesting Ugh, mr daly we can get into the f1 stuff now <laughs> well we'll go over to gp blog now because uh, here's a cool stat well maybe not such a cool stat for birthday boy lando norris who has 604 points in his formula career which makes him the driver with the most points but without a win to his name Followed up by Nico Hulkenberg with 530, Roman Grosjean with 291, Nick Heidfeld with 259, Lance Stroll with 247, Alex Albon with 228, Danny Kvyat with 202, and Kevin Magnuson with 186 points. Of course, uh, Lando's career has uh, been, you know, shorter than the rest, fairly successful. You know, he's he's had a couple of looks, you know, like, uh, you know, close-ish, but hasn't been able to seal the deal just yet. But he's raced in an era where there are so many races. And to score up, you know, to, to rack up that many points is very, very impressive. D despite the fact he hasn't won a race yet, 
in what has been a fairly short career right now. Uh, the next one here is a, is a cool one as well. Just can't quite uh, make out where this one came from. Um, Mafruz Sports, I believe it is. So this uh, is a stat of driver's percentage of their team points. So Alex Albon has 96% of Williams points this year. Fernando has 76 of percent of the Aston Martin points. And Nico Hulkenberg, 75% of Haas's points. Lando Norris, 69% of the McLaren points. Max Verstappen, only 67% of the Red Bull points for this year. Valtteri Bottas, 63% of the points for Alfa Romeo. Yuki Sonoda, 62% of the points scored for Alfa Tauri. Lewis Hamilton, 59% of the points scored for uh, Mercedes. Pierre Gasly, 57% of the points scored for uh, Alpine. And then finally, Carlos Sainz, 56% of the points scored for Ferrari this year. Some some interesting numbers in there, but I, I think we got to give a lot of uh, you know praise to Alex Albon scoring as many points as he has in the uh, in the season thus far maybe i still have the uh, the, the graphic open oh, i think i closed it now with the the, the championship points uh, maybe hammy if you can pull it up while i ramble here but uh, alex uh, you know scoring points for a team with a car much improved as it uh, you know compared to some of the more recent uh, uh, attempts at a successful formula 1 car that we've seen from williams in recent years but um, I think that uh, Alex has done a, a pretty bang up job. That uh, that second one, number two, Fernando scoring seventy six percent of the points for for Aston Martin. You know, sorry Lance, but that's not a good look for you. To only not even scoring like a quarter of the points, just falling a, a percent uh, short of that. Did you manage to pull up that uh, that stat uh, for Was how I many points? To? No, I I did I, I did it. Do. Okay, but 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 I don't get too excited about that contribution and the development of that car because we actually have a story tucked away a little later in the news that kind of talks about what their strategy, Williams' strategy has been with that car this year, which is kind of interesting. My friend, I, yeah, I'm so absolutely. excited. I'm so excited. I have to jump ahead just because Please. this first story made my week. So there's, there's actually kind of two stories that broke over the last week and a half uh, that are kind of interwoven. And we talked about this recently. And one of the things, and Sam and I talked about this, and you and I have talked about this in the past, is that Andretti is obviously trying to get on a grid and it's clear Liberty doesn't want them and the other teams don't want them. And I think largely it's based on greed and their short-sightedness and their lack of belief that Andretti would bring incremental value to the sport that would offset the drain that they would have on the profit that the sport creates today. And at some point, the sport basically said, Andretti, you got to go and get an OEM. You got to make this worth our while. So they went and signed up GM. And then people turned around and said, well, GM's not really going to contribute because really you're just going to buy engines from Renault and rebadge them as a Cadillac engine. Like that, that's not really contributing. Well, we learned earlier this week, two things, one of which, and this is huge news, and this is from Matt Q over at motorsport.com, General Motors has registered to join F1 as an engine manufacturer from 2028. So their commitment to F1 and to Andretti is full-blown. This is not badge engineering. This is not a marketing exercise a la Alfa Romeo. They are going full in and will be building a 2026 spec Formula One power unit in time for the 2028 Formula One season, which is crazy, which is fantastic. Like, Just think about the number of different engine manufacturers the sport's going to have. Now, the other piece of this is really interesting, which is 
It's been learned in the last couple of weeks and months that Formula One and perhaps some existing teams went around Andretti and went to GM and said, hey, we're not so interested in having Andretti on the grid, but we'd love to have you on the grid. <laughs> and earlier this week, and maybe it was, maybe it was actually last week, um, the senior leadership at GM came out and restated their commitment not to F1 necessarily, but their commitment to Andretti. And that their commitment to F1 is tied to their participation with the Andretti team. So now we've got this really unique dynamic where GM's saying, not only we're we going to get involved, we're going to build an engine, but we are doing this with Andretti. And it just goes back to that thought that literally Andretti is bringing every conceivable thing to the table. They are bringing an established motorsports team. They're bringing a racing pedigree. They have all the funding. They have a manufacturer that is going to build them a bespoke engine. And it's still not enough for F1. At this point, Liberty and F1, they might as well go back to the Concord Agreement and just cross out any idea of additional teams. Because what they're saying is that if they're not going to accept Andretti, there's no team on the face of the planet that would meet the criteria that they would possibly want. So right? a couple of interesting stories, right? you know what I mean? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's I, I just I get a little hot under the collar when 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 I hear things like this because I go back to uh, <clears throat> excuse me to Matt Q's article here, and this one paragraph just <laughs> it it just really frustrates me. So I'll just read it, uh, you know, verbatim out of Matt's article. Quote, Andretti has gained FIA approval to enter, but has now awaited a decision from FON, which faces, emphasis added here, extreme resistance from ten, the 10 incumbent teams who fear losing a chunk of their commercial income and any destabilizing effect a new entry might have. End quote. Uh, yeah, extreme resistance from the 10 incumbent teams says I, I'm sorry, says it Haas, all. you're worried about the destabilizing effect that a fully fledged <laughs> works team would have? Like, who the hell are you to talk about the destabilizing effect? You are a net drainer on this sport, Williams. With all due respect, your heritage aside, you are a net drainer on this sport. Like, how dare some of these teams object to a full-blown works team joining the grid? Yeah, no kidding, right? It it just uh, this kind of really irritates me, you know. It's just like I I think you know Haas especially they they must have like a, a severe irony deficiency because <laughs> you know, it just does not you know that stuff like that. It just uh, oh, it just it it bugs me, man. It bugs me. It's just like you know if if they don't make it in and it's purely for for you know, political reasons, basically, then who else would, I mean, it sends like completely the wrong message that formula one is a closed shop. It's a, it's, it's a closed club and it doesn't matter if you have like one of the biggest auto manufacturers on the face of the planet in general motors. And it's still not good enough. Like you see, we're going to build them a bespoke engine. I, I don't know. It just, uh, <laughs> I, I could rant and rave and just go on and on about it. I, I can just sit here and just all, all I can do right now is shake my head because it's just, it's just absurd that, uh, that we should be uh, here. So anyways, um, Michael Andretti, this is an article that's on pitpass.com and there's some interesting quotes in here. Michael had the following to say, quote, we're bringing one of the biggest manufacturers of the world with us now with General Motors and Cadillac. We feel that was one box that we didn't have checked. 
that we do have checked. Now, we'll be bringing a tremendous amount of support to Formula One, and it's hard for anyone to argue with that. <laughs> End quote. Like, what else? <laughs> what else is there to say? Like to that? I mean, I, I can't say. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know. There, there's nothing else to add to it. Is just if if they can't see the benefit of bringing them into the sport then like you say mark they should go back and just basically blow up the concord agreement around anything about expanding the grid just because forget it i mean it's just uh it's all it's all lip service it's just uh it, it looks good on paper but there's nothing to it in uh in, in reality do, do we want to stick with one this one <laughs> or are we just going to get like no, a let's, really, let's uh, move on little, little then. i think okay i think the listeners understand our our position our frustration on, on yeah I think so. Okay, so the next one comes from Juliana Duchessa. Alpha Tauri with the Red Bull suspension from Singapore. The AT04 becomes a different car. The team will continue to develop it till the end, and another floor will arrive uh, at some point before the end of the season. Now, so this is interesting, right? Because, I mean, I, I don't think that this is any, or it's up for debate that up until very, very recently, that ATR04 was basically what the worst car on the grid this season. Okay, sure. You know, you had an unproven driver, Nick DeFries, who was, you know, I think it's pretty fair to say that flopped somewhat uh, in his brief stint in Formula One. And, uh, well, didn't really see anything spectacular from, from Yuki, but it was limited what we could do. All of a sudden, you bring in uh, Danny Ricardo and then uh, Liam Lawson, who deputized uh, fantastically when Ricardo was out injured, and Yuki. And all of a sudden, this is a bit of a fun team to watch. You know, the, this car fundamentally different, and um, it's 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 interesting that they're still like developing and evolving this car this late in the season with literally like two three races left in the year. There, there's nothing to play for really when you think about it, but. They, they obviously feel like there is something absolutely worth doing. Uh, there, there's a benefit to develop this car, even at this point in the season, for something that they, I, I would assume they're going to kind of try and carry over into 2024, Mark. Yeah, we talked about this a lot, right? Which was Christian Horner believes that Alpha Tauri were given too much autonomy to develop this car. And I think that two things have happened this year. One is that they got an accomplished driver in Daniel Ricardo, who was able to provide a ton of really great feedback on the direction and the development of the car. But the other piece too is what we had expected for 2024, which was the migration of parts from Milton Keynes to the Alpha Tauri team is already begun. And I, I think they've decided not to wait to next year. And if there were parts that they could transfer from the RB19 to the AT04, they're not waiting. They're they're simply making that they're making that migration right now. And I think that's we've begun to see that with some of the suspension components and things like that. And obviously next year's car, the AT05, won't be an RB19 clone because the regulations won't allow that. Like it's going to have to have its own unique kind of carbon fiber tub and things like that. But it's going to be very, very, very close. And I think it's going to be a much more competitive car next year. Now, the unfortunate thing about all of this is that this is even allowed that, again, I'm not going to get into it. Like we've we've litigated the whole Andretti thing to death, but we've also litigated this to death too, which is the idea that one company can own two teams and that one of those two teams really oversees the other team. Like that shouldn't be allowed. And the other teams shouldn't allow that. And that should be, that should be eliminated in the 
next Concord agreement. Uh, and I might, maybe there'll be more resistance from the other teams too, because you and I have talked about this in the past that, you know, if I'm Mercedes or Ferrari, I'm kind of okay if Alpha Tauri is owned by Red Bull because they're not a meaningful competitor. But if all of a sudden they're competitive and they're taking points off me, like, oh my God, I'm not so okay with this. So we'll see if the tune of these other teams change as we begin to shape the next Concord agreement. But yeah, it's definitely competitive. And I, I agree with you as well that all of that aside, it's kind of fun to see that team with Yuki and Daniel Ricardo. I guess the question is how long is Daniel Ricardo going to be driving in Alpha Tauri for? Yeah, that that uh, is a situation that everyone's going to be watching, and then just listen to you just talk about like uh, you know the potential, like the the ups and downs, and the way that it might be viewed by by different teams in the paddock. But if you're Michael Andretti and GM, don't come knocking on our door because we've got our house in order here. Apparently, <laughs> another thing. So here we go. We're we're circling back and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the stuff that we we'd already moved on for. Uh, I do want to talk, uh, you know, quickly or not quickly. I do want to talk about Aston Martin and uh, some of their uh, recent admissions about uh, some of their their public experiments on the develop of the MR23. Uh, just uh, notice the time that we have on the clock here. Why don't we just take a quick break? Have a, a message from, from our sponsors. We'll come back and we'll talk about that and a whole bunch of uh, other things. Packed show tonight, so we'll get to, to in just a moment after a quick break. Don't go away. We will be uh, right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. And this is... This is another sort of a, a frustrating story, at least from our point of view. I mean, the you know Aston Martin has basically been our pet team the, the last couple of years with the Canadian connection with the Strolls. Wanted to see this team succeed, but you know, just a, a 
that aside, I mean, this is a brand that both yeah, you and I really, really like. And, it, you know, Aston Martin has a great history behind it and it's been very exciting to see them on the grid. But it's it's been a work in progress. And after a very, very promising, exciting electric start to uh, this uh, this season that had them running second in the Constructors uh, Championship right up until the uh, second or the first half of the, uh, the, 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 the season going into the summer break, we've watched them. I would say slowly, quite rapidly drop down through the Constructors' Championship, be passed by McLaren, Ferrari, Mercedes, etc. And you know they're they're not going to drop any lower than fifth. But still, uh, it it's it, it it's a bit of a sad story in that in that regard because they scored a, a podium in six of the the opening eight races, and uh, they they've had some. Uh, some more recent frustrations and you know it's these experiments that they've had is uh you know it hasn't been fun to un- fun to watch as uh, this is a team that you've been uh, cheering for fernando alonso had to say quote we had to experiment a little bit uh, on a few things going on the car and really understand the direction that we are going and so we will have to go for next year's car as well so those races were painful especially mexico i think we were very slow as a team and quote so as we come into the last two races of the years uh, at las vegas and abu dhabi in a couple of weeks aston martin uh, performance director Tom McCullough acknowledged that it was a mistake to, to do much R&D right up in the uh, in the public eye. McCullough had to say, quote, we're really just focusing these next few races on trying to get as many points as we can do rather than doing too many R&D projects in front of you all at the track. We really got into trying to do some big testing and understanding for next year, which we've done and we've got all the data and the bank. It's, uh, it is tough doing all the R&D, especially during a sprint event. Uh, we don't have, uh, we don't want to be starting from the pit lane to change the car specification we've introduced some parts we've done some testing we did spend a bit too much r&d work in front of you all over two race weekends which maybe in hindsight wasn't the right thing to do but we're pretty happy that we've got a good understanding of the way to develop the car which is key for next year end quote so um aston martin's team principal mike crack also said that uh, aston martin had sacrificed results and um but uh, kind of a stood behind that and uh, re- really tried to take the stance that they're there to do their own thing and not really try to live up to public expectations and things. Uh, and he had to say, quote, this is not about the outside world. This is about ourselves. We wanted to learn as much as possible for next year. But obviously, then you have to sacrifice a bit the results. You have a range of parts uh, when you combine them. Uh, the cars are very complicated, and you really need to understand the different areas, how they interact with each other. And this was uh, some reporting done by uh, 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 Matt Q and Jonathan Noble over motorsport.com. Mark, your thoughts on Aston Martin coming out and admitting we've been doing R&D in front of everyone, in front of y'all, and it wasn't a smart thing to do. What do you think? Should I mean, I think it was kind of obvious they were trying something. Uh, did, did they really need to do this? Did they really need to tell us the, the quiet part, say the quiet part out loud? <laughs> it's, it's kind of a WTF conversation, right? Because yes, it's, and you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to gather my thoughts on this one. And even though I read this article earlier and and I kind of came to a specific position, I'm not sure how to articulate this. This was a team that early in the season was competing for P2 in the championship. P2 in the championship, which was leagues ahead of where I think 
anybody expected them to be. They looked exceptional. And at some point, they made the decision that they were going to pivot from building on the success that they were having this year and competing for a P2 or a P3 position in the Constructors Championship to experimenting with concepts for 2024. That they, they did that presumably knowing that it was going to compromise their in-season competitiveness this year. Or alternatively, they totally miscalculated and felt that they could do both, which was, hey, we think we can continue to compete, possibly get better, and experiment with designs and concepts for 2024. Either way, it was a terrible miscalculation because ultimately it cratered their season. They're probably going to finish P5 or P6. They could have finished P2 or P3 if they'd continued their early trajectory. And we don't know if that any of this was actually beneficial for 2024, and we won't until next year. What we do know is they Frankensteined a car together for the last race in Brazil for Fernando Alonso that resembled something more similar to what they had in Zandvoort, and all of a sudden he was competitive again. So it's it's really, really strange. But it also ties into a story that you and I were going to talk about a little bit later in the show where James Voles of, of Williams says, hey, they were quote unquote happy to sacrifice seventh in the Constructors Championship because they wanted to improve their long-term chance of success. And the reason I bring this up is the championship in so many ways is continually undermined by the fact that teams so quickly right off the current championship to build on the future. And and like we're talking about Aston Martin, a team that was hyper competitive to begin the year, presumably making a decision that would compromise the integrity of the championship to focus on 24. And that you have a team like Williams who seemingly is always building for the future, but they're building for the future. And Haas is building for the future. And AlphaTauri is building for the future. And if you start to strip down the championship, who's actually competing this year? Like Red Bull's competing because they won a championship, but Williams isn't competing. Like if they score some points, that's great, but they're putting all their financial ducks in 24, 25, 26. Aston Martin, who looks super competitive, well, they've just come out and revealed that they kind of tanked this year. They cratered the season because they wanted to focus on 24. So the question is, who's actually competing out there? Who is actually making a meaningful effort to contend for constructors points? And then the question is like, if I'm a fan and I'm tuning in, what am I tuning in to watch? And if I'm paying to go to a race, I'm paying to see the spectacle, sure. But how many of those teams are actually making an honest effort to compete this season? Because I just think Aston Martin is the most outlandish example that this is a team that had the trajectory early on to compete for P2 or P3. And maybe they had some data that they believed made it obvious to them that that wasn't going to be sustainable. But the fact that they effectively cratered their season to focus on 24 when there's no guarantee that what they learned this year is actually going to be helpful yes. next year is really strange. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and you you wrapped it up there nicely because that that was exactly the same thing that I was thinking. Is is like you're foregoing potentially millions and millions yes, of dollars yes, in yes, prize yes. money this year to have a shot at next year, where you say and you so correctly say there's no guarantee on next year. So yeah, maybe they did they design and build a car that's better than the AMR twenty three, 
But what if McLaren builds a car that's yes, better than the exactly, MR24 exactly. and Mercedes builds a car that's better than the MR24 next year, et cetera. So, I mean, it, this is not a slam dunk that they're going to build a, a a car that can compete with the Red Bull. Maybe it will. You know, it, it's it's hard to say, but it's, <laughs> there's no certainty that it will. And there's definitely no certainty that they're going to be better than any other of the teams around them. So it, it just seems very peculiar, like you say, to crater this season you know to to you know put all your eggs into next year and beyond and and to give up all that 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 money because it'd be interesting at the the, at the end of the year to see well i guess we could kind of make that, that that calculation now where you know how the the, the uh, constructors is going to shake out what that prize money is and what the delta is to what they could have walked away with if they fic- finished either second or third and what they ultimately will take home because they're not going to drop lower than, than than fifth in the constructors i mean that's as low as they can go but i mean if you look at the team after them, like your Alpha Towers, your Williams, your Hasses, your Alpines. I mean, they, they have no business uh, kind of being in that conversation with the top four or five teams. But uh, there, there you go. It's uh, it it just seems very very strange and you know fraught with nothing but uh, but but question marks. Um, okay, let's uh, move on to that because I think the next one is still more or less on the same topic here. So yeah, so for Fernando Alonso himself said that uh, he's actually looking relishing he said actually relishing getting to vegas after uh, ending these uh, very painful races and i can completely understand that i mean it has not been uh you know a very nice uh, run of form for them over the last uh, couple of races and in ian's parks uh article here on speedcafe.com uh fernando is uh, you know talks about that uh, exactly i did have a quote here just now um uh, anyway so fernando said quote uh, we have been struggling for a few months the last two races in uh the USA and Mexico were probably quite painful. We had to experiment a little bit with a few things on the car to really understand the direction we were going and we have to go for next year's car as well. So the race is really painful, especially Mexico. We were a very slow team. So there, <laughs> there you go. Uh, you to go uh, on to, to add uh, saying, quote, it was nice to see everyone in the team very focused, determined, united in the same direction, going deep into the analysis and coming back stronger in Interlagos. I was uh, a little bit uh, concerned, no doubt, for the last few races, uh, the final part of the championship, uh, but I cannot now wait to go to, to Vegas. So it's a very different energy when you have a performing car. So we'll wait and see if uh, they're able to uh, salvage something for the last two races here in Vegas and Abu Dhabi. Uh, but uh, it sounds like at least what um, what Fernando is saying is that he feels confident uh, that these painful uh, weekends are behind them now that they're going to go back to a, a previous spec. Okay, so uh, let's uh, move on to the next story, Mark. So the FIA are going to tighten up uh, the, the right of the review procedure, and uh, this is uh, you know according to Motorsport.com. So the uh, the window that we currently have um, will be shortened uh, from the the, the for, uh, current fourteen day period to four days or 96 hours uh they will uh, introduce a fee whereas right now there is no charge to lodge an appeal and uh, the, the plan to do so was actually discussed before the request uh, for review from Haas at the uh, the u.s grand prix which uh, eventually um, was uh, re- rejected and thrown out the window uh by the fia um 
I, I think this is a, a good idea. I mean, you know, I talked about it with Tim on his podcast uh, last week. It just, uh, it seems kind of crazy that, you know, like a couple of weeks after a race is over, when everybody's literally moved on with their lives, everybody will have moved on with their lives the, the minute that the checkered flag is raised, but, uh, or has been waved. But, uh, you know, to think that these things could be changed after the fact, it just, I don't know, it just doesn't seem, uh, seem right. I, you know, understanding that Formula One is a bit of a different, uh, different uh, than a lot of sports and is a very complex uh, thing and you know not really able to do uh, real-time appeals and things like that because there's a lot of things that sometimes need to be uh, looked at so it makes sense to have an appeal process but uh, you know i for one see the uh the 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 wisdom or uh you know to, to shorten up that window and don't uh, disagree with it uh anyways okay mark let's uh move on to the next one here um so you talked about this uh, very briefly just now so uh james voles the team principal ex mercedes uh employee uh and has been with them with all that uh, successful period they enjoyed over the past almost decade uh took over as uh, team principal at williams last winter and uh you know he did say as as you talked just briefly just now that they are willing willing to risk losing seventh in the constructors championship i mean most people would be saying oh big deal but considering where they've been basically last dead last in the championship for a, a number of years now this is a quite a uh, a, a risky um proposition uh, anyways um there was a video up on um, Williams's uh, official website, which uh, Vols had to say, quote, we stopped work on the, this year's car many, many months ago. That may mean that we're putting uh, the seventh place in the Constructors' Championship at risk. Even so, I'm very happy with the decision we made. Uh, our journey isn't about whether we finish seventh or eighth in 2023. It's how we uh, do move the team back to the front. We're trying to balance in tandem the updates in the background, systems and structures. structures. Next year's car, the 2026 car simply you can't put all of those into the same sphere and hope that you come out with success in all of them we want to make a step forward through uh, in 24 we want to make a step forward in 25 and 26 that will take time to put in place properly you have to go through a transformation i'd much rather invest everything uh, in that at the cost of updates this year and then just finishing up his thought, uh, Vol says, quote, I don't want to finish eighth in this year's uh, championship and we will fight with everything we have until the checkered flag uh, falls in Abu Dhabi to maintain the seventh place. But I'm also conscious that we're asking our race team and drivers to do this with one hand behind their back. That's okay. I'm confident the step on what we're doing and the decision we've made will still lead to long-term success over the short-term gain, end quote. And it, it's interesting because when I read and hear those quotes from Vols. it kind of like goes back to remember we talked about this probably last winter when Vols was talking about the fact that uh, he wanted uh, some updates made and where he came from mercedes you know this would take like three weeks or something like that to to manufacture and they basically said we couldn't do that in three months or a year or 18 months it's just like how would you ever expect to get this done like in three weeks that must have been a real sobering moment for for james Vols. he must have been thinking right at this point it's like somebody please remind me why i decided to take this job but he's bringing that winning mentality that uh you know, different mentality from a, a big improving organization uh, like uh, mercedes and uh, bringing that over to williams and you you know sometimes you have to do these uh, sorts of things so it'll be interesting where they end up uh by, by the time it's over this year but more importantly mark where do they progress in 24 25 26 because this is a medium turn kind of plan isn't it yeah it, it is but i just 
Oh, I just, I just, is the sport broken, Mark, that the cost cap, I don't know what to say. Like Williams is, is handicapped because they entered the cost cap era with terrible infrastructure. So even though they yes. now have the yep. ability to spend the same amount of money as the rest of the teams that, and, and again, the true honest truth is they're still not spending to the cap, which is a, a grave shame, but they're, they're on the back foot already. And if you look at the next couple of years, 24, 25, that I think Red Bull is the preordained champion. And I just can't imagine a world in which they improve significantly in the championship beyond seventh. Like I think seventh is probably, Probably their ceiling when you look at the rest of the teams and the resources that are available to them. Uh, so, w- at what point do they check out on the current era and start focusing on 26? Although you and I have had conversations recently about the fact that teams would like to prohibit development on the 26 car until 25, until January 25, to prevent exactly that from happening. But I just don't think that their ceiling is particularly high until one, they can make some. CapEx adjustments or allocations to allow teams to invest in infrastructure so that at least all the teams are kind of competing on the same playing field. I just, I don't see Mercedes and Ferrari and Red Bull making concessions like that because if they're going to make concessions to Williams, they're going to want the same concession and they're going to want to be able to improve their infrastructure and then we're no farther ahead. But it, it is interesting. And I like that comment that he had here that you said, you know, but I'm also conscious that we're asking our race team of drivers to do this, compete for seventh with one hand behind their back. That's okay. I'm still confident. The step on what we're doing and the decisions we've made, we will or will still lead to long-term success over short-term gain. Well, I don't see any long-term success here, and I don't know that it's worth uh, compromising or forfeiting that. Um, yeah, it's just it's frustrating, man. And maybe I've just got my head in the wrong place this week. But I get the cost cap. I agree with the cost cap. I just don't think it's actually creating a difference in the competitiveness of the championship that these smaller teams now are 21, 22, 23, three years deep in the cost cap era, really four when you factor in that 2020 was kind of like a kind of a, an experiment experimentary experimentary I don't know how to say that word was something of a kind of <laughs> a trial and and we're here at 23 and this team is still no better than they were in 2017 and and, you know, Alpha Tower is going to see a bump, but it's only because they're going to borrow so many parts from another team. And Haas is still terrible that what is the cost cap achieved other than making the rich teams richer in terms of the profit that they're generating. But anyways, that's my rant for this week over. Oh, Mr. Daly. Fair enough. Fair enough. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, the teams are starting to make more profit, take home uh, more re- revenue and stuff like that at the end of the day. But it hasn't delivered on the P. Exactly. There, right? Parody. Exactly. You know, like parity is, is not there and it kind of goes back back to the comment uh, that uh, that you made earlier in the show mark it's just like so if if teams are kind of like using you know race weekends for 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 like real time like on you know like on the fly kind of like r&d who's actually out there competing exactly like, like, like who's you know and 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 that's the thing i mean we all know that uh, that red bull built a fantastic race car they've got a fantastic power unit in the back of it and they also have one of the best drivers of this generation driving that car that that package so they're checking all three of these you know these very very big important boxes they've got the best car they got the best power unit they got one of the best drivers out there of course good things are are, are going to happen but it, it's just uh it, it, it's frustrating to me because it seems that 
well, Red Bull's got it so right that the the, the cost cap, well, you know, keeping expenditures under control, it, it you know it is was it Vols that said in his article that or in that other article that the the team is fighting with one hand tied behind their back, and I, I know that that's kind of you know in in one way he's talking about like. The fact that you know they're they're not really doing too much development on this car, this year's car with the upgrades, they're kind of they've they've got multiple things on the burn at the same time. You know they're they're looking into you know building a car for next year and then for twenty five, twenty six, upgrading infrastructure at the factory and all these things. So you know resources are kind of like spread really thin. But having said that, I, I just feel that you know. You know, having one hand tied behind your back also has like another meaning too, because had they all that that stuff, like all that infrastructure in place, would they still be any better off to uh to 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 evolve and develop this car? I mean, but it but it seems possible because McLaren has been able to do it this year. I mean, they they've really leapfrogged forward. I mean, I, I mean, you go back to the first couple of races of the season, and you know, we were talking on the shows that like, ooh, that was pretty nasty stuff that we saw from McLaren this weekend. It's going to be a long, long year if 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 this is what's going to happen. If the these are the kind of race weekends that they're going to have, that like not even really fighting for the point. But you know, we get sort of halfway through the season. We get to Austria at the beginning of July, and they they haven't looked back. So they've figured out how to become more competitive. I, I'm still not convinced that they've uh, developed a car and or upgraded the car that they have to actually be competitive with with, with the Red Bulls. But at least they they've proven that it, it it's possible in this cost cap era to make a significant leap forward from from where they started the beginning of the year because they they were right at the back mark (laughs) it looked like that we kind of gone back to like about five or six years in in the past to about like 2015 2016 and uh that that was just a a real dark time i mean they had the the honda power units they had fernando they had stoffel van dorn and they were just tooling around it back back of the pack anyways maybe i kind of like uh you know got a little bit off uh off tangent there but you know totally understand uh, th- those things and some frustrations there okay anytime or anyways uh, time for a quick uh, break come back on the flip side we're going to talk about the art of tire management uh, by lewis hamilton another article here from speedcafe.com talk about that in a moment don't go away we will be right back All right, welcome back to the show. So, uh, as I uh, mentioned just before we went into the break, there, uh, the next story up is uh, by Bat Koch over at uh, SpeedCafe.com, entitled "The Art of Tire Management" by Lewis Hamilton. So, Mark, is this one that you would like? Yeah, to, yeah, to, yeah. To speak I, I would to? love to take yeah. this one. So, let, let's okay. let's kind of backtrack a little bit. So, we all know that Pirelli is tasked with a very complex task, which is we create a tire that is designed to drop off a cliff at a certain point. And the reason for that is because we mandate that there be one stop every race and that drivers compete on two separate compounds. Now, even if that wasn't the case, and even if Pirelli could just create the stickiest tire with the most amazing robustness and longevity, there's still a very specific art, as as Matt Koch says here, of tire management. And, And what I mean about that is that For an F1 tire, 
or a MotoGP tire or a NASCAR tire to perform effectively, you need to get it to a specific place in terms of temperature that if you cook the tires, they degrade much more quickly, they become slippery and you lose traction in your wall. And if you don't get enough heat into them, you're going to understeer and go into a wall and your braking is going to be compromised. So it's this real art of making sure that your tires are in a very specific temperature zone so you get optimal grip without cooking the tires and seeing them degrade too quickly. And of course, the challenge with F1 is that those tires are actually engineered to degrade at a fairly significant rate. So if you're a driver and you can keep them in this zone without overcooking them and while improving their longevity to retain grip, you're going to be in a really good position. And there's some great drivers that are really bad at tire management. And there's some great drivers that are unfortunately paired with specific aerodynamic packages on their car, which despite their best efforts result in radically and rapidly degrading tires. But there's some really interesting quotes here from Lewis Hamilton, who of course has always been identified as, despite the fact that he screams bloody murder about the quality and the state of his tires at every opportunity when he's on the radio, <laughs> but there's some he does, interesting he quotes does. here. He says, it's about how much you're sliding the tire. It's about the balance that you have. If you have too much wing in, too much front end in the car, then the car is like, imagine it a bit like a seesaw. You want to start a long stint or a stint with the car understeering because as the rears go off, the seesaw tips and then it goes to oversteer. And when it goes to oversteer, that's when you're lost most often, unless it's the other way around where the front tires are the issue, for example. So some really interesting insights from, from Lewis Hamilton. And I don't think that any of that is a secret that I think all of the drivers on the grid would recognize that everything that he said is absolutely factual, but it's still an art in that you need to be, as a driver, able to read the conditions of the tires multiple times a second to decide when you're going to apply the throttle, when you're going to apply the brakes, and what type of steering inputs that you have, that you are constantly tuned into the state of the tires. Because once you lose focus, those tires are outside of their optimal operating zone, and all of a sudden you're in a wall or you're understeering or you're oversteering, you're making some sort of mistake that puts you off the the competitive kind of edge that the rest of the drivers are on. So yeah, very, very interesting. Uh, but it's just, it's also just so funky that we live in a world where we've kind of engineered this kind of strategy in the sport. But of all my complaints with F1, that's probably one of my smallest ones, but some interesting <laughs> insights from statistically the greatest F1 driver of all time. Yeah, it, it is. It was really interesting because uh, you know, like Alex Albon. Remember, was it last year in Australia that uh, that he did that masterful job managing his tires, or, or what was it this year that I just got completely, you know, forgotten because it's <laughs> such a passage of a uh, time between uh, then and now? But it, it it is fascinating to hear that you know, like these these quotes from Lewis Hamilton, because you think about all the things that are going through the mind of a Formula One driver. I I, th I think that that most of us would stay. You know, struggle just to keep uh, focused on getting the car around the track. It's shifting, getting your upshifts, your downshifts, your braking points right, and at the same time, you know, you've got all these other things going on in your mind as well about 
like the, the, this tire management and, and, and making adjustments to the car on like switching the brake balance or the differential or whatever it might be. And all the time, like uh, trying to, th- you know, keep other things in mind as well, like your lap time or, you know, trying to attack a teammate or fighting or, or a rival or trying to fend off somebody that said that attack you to try to, to take your position away. I mean, it's absolutely fascinating. The, the amount of variables that are kind of in play at one single time. And then you can have somebody like Lewis that on top of all the things that, that, that a driver is, is trying to deal with uh, during the course of the race, that there's this sort of like almost sidebar conversation going on, uh, you know, in, in his mind, so to speak, uh, the, this, uh, separate process about, you know, watching the tires. And like you say, you have these, these constant inputs that, uh, that they're, uh, they're, they're getting and just watching and you know, watching the tires constantly to make sure that they stay number one in that sweet spot. And you're not doing that, those, any of these things that, uh, don't, uh, or that, that will affect the tire negatively and, uh, degrade them to the point, uh, that, uh, they're, they're going to be outside of that optimal, zone it, it, it's absolutely fa- you know fascinating i love stories like that because it's just uh go, goes to tell show you just like how many things uh that uh, that the drivers are thinking of and and just goes to tell you that you know the, the greats truly are great in many ways because it's more than just getting out there and driving fast as fast as you can go i mean to to be effective i mean yeah you got to drive as fast as you can go but there's so many other things that you're you're watching and doing at the same the same time so you can stay as fast as you can go for the longest amount of time so uh very very cool okay uh, next story so uh Femin shares alpine project update with eric Mignon's appointment as power unit technical director this is a story over on f1.com or formula1.com uh so very interesting here so alpine's interim team principal bruno famine has offered uh, the squad's latest development after their re- most recent headline change which sees eric mignon take over responsibly for uh power unit uh operations so uh, mignon came for to alpine from ferrari and uh, this is after the big big changes that we saw uh, during the middle of the year that uh, saw otmar safnar the former uh, team principal and uh, the uh, former sporting direction uh, director, pardon me, Alan Permain, leaving the team. And then uh, Laurent Rossi, who's uh, been moved into the uh, Alpine factory basement still counting staples all these months later right Hammy? because <laughs> he never was really he wasn't put on gardening leave or sacked or fired or anything like that he was just sort of reassigned so we we just uh, surmised that he's in the basement ca- counting post-it notes and staples and you know organizing pencils by length or whatever it is it's all those things. Uh, it was joking aside. So Mignon has also uh, previously worked at uh, Mercedes AMG HPP, the high performance powertrains. Uh, so he'll uh, take over the day to running of the Alpine power unit division in France, and he will report directly to uh, the team principal, interim team principal, uh, Bruno uh, Famine. So anyways, uh, Famine had the following to say, quote, we're very happy to welcome Eric Enviri, and I think he'll bring a lot because he's a long experienced guy in Formula One. I think uh, he will cha- challenge our team. He's coming at the right time to challenge our guys for preparing for the better 2026 power unit generation. I'm very confident that we will make a very good job with all the guys in Viri. Uh, he started already, and I think he will be quickly operational, end quote. 
All right, Mark. So here we go. Uh, we're moving along to the point of the show where we can uh, talk. Uh, well, let's talk now about uh, the upcoming Las Vegas Grand Prix. So uh, this is is finally happening uh, this weekend. It is now Wednesday night, so still a little bit of time uh, before uh, the, the time that we're sitting down to record the show and the, the practice sessions kick off ahead of the weekend qualifying on saturday the the the, the race on sunday sorry saturday night checked it out uh, one of the things that uh, were kind of concerns is just the, uh, the 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 temperature there and the fact that uh, pirelli um is, you know just talking about tire temperatures and things like that uh, pirelli expects there's going to be uh, complaints from the teams i checked the most recent uh, midterm forecast for las vegas saturday night looks like it's going to be about 50 degrees fahrenheit or 10 degrees celsius so kind of cool mark what sort of things are we looking at when it comes to the the, the, the tires what are Pirelli's concerns in and around the complaints yeah it's funny I was talking to Sam Cooper on the podcast a couple of days ago and we were talking specifically about the temperature and I kind of asked him was it was it an oversight of everyone involved that guess what the desert gets cold at 10 p.m at night in in the middle of November and it sounds like at least according to Ross Braun that maybe this was a little bit of an oversight and I think Pirelli has acknowledged that we are quote unquote going into the unknown here and by the unknown it means a couple of things one is which that that we've never been on this track before so we have no idea how these tracks or how this how these tires are going to perform on the surface. And we also know it's going to be cold. And we also know that the pavement, the tarmac is brand new and very, very smooth. The other thing that's going to be interesting is obviously you ideally want a track where you're going to get some heat into these tires. And the challenge with this track is there's really no medium or high speed corners. And when you're kind of entering and exiting a high or medium speed corner, you know what, you're you're transferring a lot of energy from the car into those tires and it keeps the tires warm, which means that you're in that optimal operating zone and you've got a lot of grip. The challenge with this track is that the corners themselves are very low speed and they're kind of split up by some very long straights, which means that on those very long straights, when it's 45, 50 degrees Fahrenheit, 7, 8, 9, 10 degrees Celsius, it just means that those tires are cool the entire time. And that's not a great thing because when you do hit a corner, uh, ultimately you're not going to have a ton of grip and you might understeer. And the challenge with this track, of course, is by the way, if you look at the track layout, it absolutely looks like an upside down spider pig from the Simpsons movie in 2007. I cannot get that image out of my head. (laughs) It does. It does. But ultimately it is still very much a street track and we could be treated to a Grand Prix where obviously the eyes of the world are going to be on these drivers. And I think these drivers are 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 alphas and I think they're all going to want to compete as much as they can but the reality is there's absolutely zero margin for error on this track and the challenge too is thankfully it's not a sprint weekend so these drivers are going to get three practice sessions before they go into qualifying so they'll get to know the track a little bit and obviously they've been doing it in the video game we heard Matt or Max Verstappen talk about that and they've obviously put in a ton of time in the sim but ultimately you typically pair those experiences with real-time seat time on this track and none of these drivers have it. So it's going to be really, really interesting to see how these tires perform. And I know motorsport.com had a a really interesting article a couple of days ago by Matt Q. And he was talking about the fact that these long straights might result in standing waves, which is an interesting kind of byproduct of the makeup and nature of this track. And of course, that's compounded with tire graining and all these other kind of pieces. So tire management is going to be absolutely key here. 
And I don't think anybody has any idea what type of tire strategy these teams are going to run on the weekend. And we know they're going to bring the three softest compounds of tires. Um, and that just kind of logically makes sense. But I think the teams are going to be formulating their strategy on the fly through practice one, practice two, and practice three. The good news is, and this is the crazy thing, is that all of the practice sessions are at night. So at least you're going to have some degree of resemblance in terms of what the race can conditions are going to be. And I'll quickly read this out because normally we wouldn't, but free practice one is actually, and these are Pacific standard time. Practice one is Thursday from 8.30 to 9.30 PM. So about 24 hours from now, Mr. Daly, which is really interesting. Practice two is Friday from midnight until 1 a.m. So I guess you've got practice one Thursday night. A couple of hours later, you have practice two. Practice three is Friday from 8.30 to 9.30 p.m. And then qualifying is Saturday at midnight to 1 a.m. So when I say Saturday, really I'm meeting Friday night heading into Saturday. And of course, the race is on Saturday at 10 p.m. So these teams are going to be trying to accumulate as much data as they can to inform the decisions they're going to make around strategy and things like that. But again, there's very little margin for error on this track. There's some unique characteristics about pit entry and pit exit and and all of those different kind of dimensions. It's not going to be as cool, I think, as some people feared it had been. And I think if you flash back to the Eiffel Grand Prix in 2020 in Germany, I think Again, it was in the day at least, but track temperatures were around nine degrees. So, you know, 10 degrees isn't unprecedented for Formula One, but it is when you factor in the fact that you have a very smooth surface and you have no data from here before. None of these drivers have any experience, but it's going to be, it's going to be really, really interesting this week. And not least of all, because this is the first time you and I have ever been able to watch a Grand Prix together, but it's going to be interesting to say the very, very least, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. I was just trying to do a, a little bit of math here. And so this track, it has, um, I just lost the stats here, uh, going back to, so it's uh, 6.201 uh, kilometers or 3.853 miles. Race length will be uh, 310.05 kilometers or 192.66 miles. 50 laps. I was just uh, looking at the layout here because, like you say, it does very much uh, resemble the spider pig. So we have 17 uh, st- uh, corners here. Most of them are uh, to the left. I didn't get a chance to, to tally them all here. I've got, uh, I count at least 10 corners that are going to be left. So we're going around in a, a in a counterclockwise uh, cor- uh, direction. But it's interesting, right? Because if you look at the, the, the layout, very, very short run up into turn one which is a, a very, very sharp uh, corner. Uh, so turn one is to the left, turn two is to the left, and then it sweeps around into turns three and four. Then uh, there's a very short, uh, well, a shortish uh, straightaway between uh, turns uh, four and five. You know, turn four, they'll take it uh, six gear, 235 miles an hour or kilometers an hour, I should say. Uh, that brings you into turn five, which is a 90 degree corner. Then you go through this complex of turns at six, seven, eight, and nine. Uh, you know, they'll take turn nine at 85 kilometers an hour, second gear. And you go into this, uh, th- this interesting kind of sweeping right-hander into uh, turn 10 and then go into turns 11 and 12. Uh, turn 12 is a very sharp left-hander, about 90 degree uh, quarter. Take that uh, second gear, 115 kilometers an hour. 
then you'll go down this very sort of long sweeping straight into the DRX DRS uh, detection zone two, pardon me. Uh, then you're going to get the speed trap at the end, just before turn 14, 15 and 16. That's a, uh, you know, a very short and snappy section there. Then another straightaway and then a sweeper to the left at turn 17 and they'll hit about 195 miles an hour, 315K in eighth gear as they cross the finish line and then hard on the brakes as they go around for, for a lap again. So it, it's it's going to be interesting to watch because, you know, we, we've got some very fast sections and then, you know, you're going to hit, you know, hit these very tight and technical corners in between the ends of these sort of these run-ups and these, uh, you know, the sweepers or the, the long straightaways and things like that. I don't know. How will this play out in the race? Will there, there be one section of the track that will prove to be a good place uh, for overtaking? I, I see potentially a couple, but I don't know. <laughs> At the same time, I kind of fear that when I see some of these longer straightaways and uh, some of these sort of like sweeping corners and things like that, I, I kind of get the, uh, I kind of worry about like DRS trains, Mark, and, uh, you know, like a lack of, uh, a lack of action. So I, I hope, I hope, I hope that they prove me wrong. I hope the, the race doesn't result in a bunch of yellow flags and possibly a red flagged yeah. restart. Uh, I just I hope it's I hope it's going to be clean and it's interesting as well and this is kind of pivoting away from the on track action because we can speculate a lot about what we expect hey you know a cold tire smooth kind of a, a non gritty polished kind of tarmac surface blah 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 but I think there's been some other interesting stories this week too that I quickly want to touch on before we move on and one of Please. these is that and you and I have kind of messaging back and forth on WhatsApp about this this week and again we're not we're not celebrating the demise of F1 we know F1's kind of been booming the last couple of years. <laughs> and obviously, Liberty is doing everything they possibly can to monetize that. Well, the FIA seemingly is trying to do everything they can to undermine Liberty's ability to monetize this. But all of that aside, I, I think you and I sat in awe the last 12 or 18 months when the prices associated with Las Vegas came out, both in terms of hotel packages oh. and, and hospitality yep. packages and ticket packages. And there's naturally been a ton of stories that have come out recently. One about the opposition from locals to the fact that this race is happening at all and the disruptions that have occurred in the last couple of months is in terms of the buildup to this race, infrastructure and planning, et cetera, et cetera. But the other thing that's become very clear this week, and I've had a lot of listeners reach out indicating there is an awful lot of tickets left available and both on secondary sites and on the official F1 site, prices are collapsing versus where they were five, six weeks ago. And I, I get, you know what, your Liberty, you're spending $250 million on the paddock building, you're investing $500 million in this event, you're hosting it yourself, you're going to shoot for the sky, right? You're going to price this as high as possible and test the market. If people gobble up the tickets, great. Like you can, it's really difficult to increase prices. It's much easier to bring them down. But one of the things that we've discovered is that in the last month, average ticket prices on secondary markets have collapsed by 50 to 70%. And it looks Looks like even in the last wow. week, ticket prices have come down twenty wow. percent. Again, secondary markets. Again, you know what? Take it for what it is. People are trying to be exploitive, et cetera, et cetera. But there's still a ton of sure. ticket inventory available now. I promise you, come this weekend, there won't be any empty seats. That would be a terrible look. But it is an interesting litmus test for 
the ongoing growth trajectory of F1 in the United States that, hey, look, maybe maybe three events, three high-profile events in Austin, whose attendance was down a little bit this year, and Miami and, and Vegas, like maybe that's the limit of the number of races you want to host in this country. And maybe F1's beginning to discover what the threshold is for people's willingness to pay big dollars for F1 tickets, which is purely discretionary spending. And of course, we're very likely heading into a recession here in North America. Canada, I think, has probably been in one for the last six months. People are presumably going to have less money to spend. So while I think it's going to be a sellout, and I'm sure that F1 will tout this as a success, I don't think F1 is going to be able to continue to charge what they have the last couple of years because I suspect that a lot of those casual fans are gone, man. A lot of the people that picked up the sport during the pandemic, they've looked at what happened last year and this year and the lack of competitiveness, and they've walked away. And I think Liberty is going to start to discover that, hey, you know, maybe we found the threshold of what people are willing to pay for for F1 tickets. Yeah, it was interesting because, I mean, we, when you throw out some of those uh, stats about like the decrease in value, do you have any dollar figures associated that with it, with any like, like, like weekend passes or, or yeah, race day passes or things like that? Uh, because I'm, I'm kind of interested to see because I, I still feel like, uh, you know, I'm still priced out because, as you say, and, and very correctly, that, uh, you know, F1 tickets would be very much a, dis- uh, you know, a discretionary household budget line I do, item. I do. So that, that most people, a great article yeah. here from CNN. And I'm going to quote, since last week, prices have dropped 23% for Saturday night's main event, falling below $1,000 with the current get-in price for tickets hovering around $800, according to TickPick. That's down 50% since a month ago when the cheapest ticket was $1,645. So in a month, that price has collapsed from $1,645 to $800, which is probably still not accessible for for most of our listeners and certainly not for us, but it is very, very interesting. And the article continues here. Prices for the practice and qualifying sessions on Thursday and Friday respectively are crashing too. The cheapest tickets for both days dropped as much as 20% in a week and are down 70% from last month. It's a drastic Mm. decline for the sporting spectacle, the first F1 race to be held in the Las Vegas Strip. A year ago when tickets initially went on sale, this Saturday's title race tickets were selling for around $16.22. This week's prices indicate that they have fallen by 50% since November. 2022 Thursday practice tickets or six or practice tickets were sold for 919 last year but have sunk to 119 this year tick pick said an 87% decrease Friday tickets for qualifying races are selling for 259 a 76% drop from last year's price of 1085 so maybe some of those prices are are uh, are a little bit more accessible for for people the one thing that I would add is that and CNN speaks to this as well a very strong contributing factor to this is the championship itself, right? That Max was crowned championship, what, in April, May? That I think if the championship was undecided and there was a possibility that the champion could be crowned this weekend, I'm sure prices wouldn't be crashing quite like this. Yeah, and and that's a great point to to make as well because even though that the the constructors and drivers championships were were mathematically clinched not so uh, long ago within the well, I mean, <laughs> very much to your point, Mark, the, the the championship never really was there. It was it was a pretty apparent, pretty quick that this was going to be Max's championship to lose, and you know he hasn't had a bad race in like many years, and uh, the, the the car is just uh, reliable. The, the the engine is uh, reliable and it, it was just obvious that 
uh, everybody else would just be uh, chasing Max uh, Verstappen around this year. So it, it hasn't been an exciting close championship like many people have wanted. And it was always going to be a question of uh, when and not it, if Max was going to, to, to win this one. But like you say, if uh, we, you know, we are heading into a recession or if we're in one right now, then these these premium events are, are going to be a, a decision that people decide to you know cut and say well you know i just can't uh, afford it right now plus you know combine that with the fact with a lot of people that just tuned out that who knows you know is is the sport still expanding in uh in, in popularity in north america i don't yeah. know i'll have to have that conversation at well, some point we'll see it's not helpful when one driver and one team dominates i mean they're leading the championship by double the number of constructors points as p2 mercedes hey maybe we'll wrap this up with a quote from mario isola of course of pirelli fame uh kind yep. of pivoting back but he writes formula one returns to the u.s for the third time this year following miami and austin and it's with one of the most eagerly awaited Grand Prix of the year in Las Vegas, where the pinnacle of motorsport hasn't been since 1982. Of course, they raced there in 81 and 82. This will be an incredible race as every day is showtime in Las Vegas, and all of us working in F1 want to put on the sort of spectacle that is worthy of this amazing city. It will also be a major technical challenge for both the teams and us as we head into this race with no real references apart from simulation. Nobody has ever actually driven the 6.12 kilometer Las Vegas strip circuit before, which is second only to spawn in terms of overall length this year, characterized by three straights and 17 corners. The surface will be a mix of the usual street asphalt, especially on the actual strip, as well as other parts that have been completely re-asphalted for the occasion, adding another unknown element. There won't be any support races and the track will be opened again to normal traffic for long chunks of the day, which means that the surface won't rubber in as usual and deliver improved grip. That's incredible. I've never heard of that before. We're expecting no. the cars to run quite low levels of downforce, similar to Baku and indeed Monza hitting a high top speed will be key to being competitive. All the sessions will take place at night with, with the unusual ambient and track temperatures for a race weekend, more similar to those found back when preseason testing used to take place in Europe. Those long straights also make it hard to warm up tires and qualifying as well as to keep them in the right operating window. The same challenge as seen in Baku, which will probably be more pronounced in Las Vegas. And finally, he writes, bearing all this in mind, we've selected the trio softest compounds for this weekend, C3, C4, and C5, which should get guarantee good grip. Minimum tire pressure should be 27 PSI at the front and 24 and a half at the back due to the expected low temperatures as well as the track layout. In cold conditions, the gap between cold tires pressures and normal running pressures is greatly reduced. So when the car is moving, tire pressures will increase a lot less than on other circuits due to the low asphalt temperatures. And finally, he writes, as a result, we think that running pressures will still be lower than on other circuits that are tough on tires, such as Baku, for example. There you go. Yeah, it's uh, it's finally here, and we can say that uh, that come Saturday night we will be getting together and watching this thing as a uh, you know with the well an undetermined amount of our you know closest Formula One friends. So looking forward to to seeing that. And uh, I was just thinking too when you were talking about like the different practice times and things like that. You know, to, to have a practice session that will be like midnight our time seems uh, you know kind of, kind of strange, especially when it's in the same time zone. And you know we're we're not talking about having like a practice session at midnight PST that's in Japan or the Middle East or something like that because you're you're dealing with these you know very large time changes this is actually happening in, in real time just literally a couple hours down the road from where we are here but it uh, it it, sh- it should be quite the spectacle and one to watch so it um 
hoping it'll be fun, hoping we get a good spectacle, but uh, we'll wait and see. You know, it was interesting too, because uh, there, there were some images going around social media this week that had the uh, showed the layout of the new track, plus the 1982 Caesars Palace one. That literally looked like it was a like, like a go-kart uh, mark. It was a, this very tight, compact one. It's just like, even for the cars of the day, it looks like it was ridiculously like compact and short uh, compared to to what we have now. It just was a, just a hair under six and a quarter mile or kilometers long, uh, 3.85 or 3.9 miles, whatever it is. So <laughs> it certainly has evolved quite a bit in the, the 40 years since uh, Formula One was uh, last in uh, in Las Vegas. So I, I, th- I think we've uh, reached the end of the line for this show. Thank you one and all for uh, for tuning in and listening. Uh, look forward to watching the Las Vegas Grand Prix with the uh, with everybody on uh, Saturday night. Hope you all enjoy the race. Mark and I will be back on Sunday at some point uh, to wrap it up and uh, give our thoughts on that one. And uh, until then, thank you for listening. If you want to give us a follow, Mark, once again, what is our new Instagram, Instagram handle? That is where you're going to find us. Scuderia F1 underscore podcast and you'll notice it's the new one because the logo is black if you find an old Scuderia F1 Instagram with a blue logo ignore that one come and find the one with the black logo that's where we're at yeah it's minimalist it's great I love it it looks super chic super super classy I love it it looks really good yeah so check us out there and if you want to send us an email scooterf1pod at gmail.com enjoy the race guys we'll talk to you again on Sunday night bye for now